Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. Gossam Butt is an interventional nephrologist and medical consultant advisor. In this episode, we talk about his journey into health tech, what value do clinicians bring to health tech companies, advice on how to make the transition into health tech, and what is value-based care. This is a great episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Hey, Gossam, how are you doing? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm looking forward to this for a while. So, um, just so for those who don't know who you are, do you mind giving us a little background about yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm actually an interventional nephrologist. Um, I'm trained as an interventional nephrologist. Uh, finished uh, school, uh, finished uh, residency in uh, 2010, LSU Shreveport. After which I joined my pr- uh, practice in San Antonio, Texas. I was in private practice for many years, um, up pro- 11 years total, actually. But around, say, 2016, 2017, 2018, um, I started having other interests. You know, I don't, I don't consider it physician burnout. I consider it bore out. I was just literally bored of doing the same thing all over again. You know, so it's like started looking for other things. I started looking into investing, started looking at other aspects of, you know, life in a weird way. Um, I had been doing some social media. And so I did video content, particularly related to, um, particularly related to kidney health and things like that. Um, that kind of that kind of got a lot of reach in 2020 on LinkedIn, and that kind of opened up opportunities. People start companies started reaching out to me, medical device companies, med tech companies, and wanting my advice on things. Getting uh, um, you know um, getting involved in it as an advisor kind of made my transition with that. And over time, my interests really did change. And in November of 2021, left my practice um, and joined. Uh, and actually, not joined. Excuse me. November 20, November 2021, I left my practice. Didn't really have an out. That's the weird thing. <laughs> so don't do what I did. You know what I'm saying? Like, so if you leave medicine. But um, I had, uh, I, um, I thought I was going to join uh, some sort of practice, not practice, some sort of company, particularly in the value-based medicine space. I've done presentations on value-based medicine, um, and especially in getting care. And uh, But that never panned out. So I wound up doing these jobs here and there, locums, part-time clinical work, and part-time medical consulting. And so right now I'm kind of splitting my time between mental consulting and clinical work along with telehealth. Yeah, that's, uh, that's crazy. I mean, uh, there's not a lot of us in the clinical world that take a jump without something. Cause we, we, we generally are very risk averse, right? Um, yeah. all of us and our colleagues and, uh, it takes a lot, man. And so like what, when, what was going through your mind when you kind of just took the leap? So like, there was a lot of things, man. So like, you know, when you reach this point, like there's a point of frustration you reach and you can't, you can't, you can't hear it anymore, right? Like it's like, and so in my practice, there was a, you know, power dynamic that got kind of old. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, being told what to do after being 11 years in kind of thing gets kind of old. Um, and then, you know, I went to LSI, Life Science Intelligence. It's a conference, a big conference for life, life sciences, med tech and stuff. Went there, you know, I'm always looking for my out, just didn't know what my out was. And when I went there, I started meeting entrepreneurs, engineers, um, some physicians and innovators. I was like, this is kind of my people. 
You know what I'm saying? This is kind of what I want to do. Uh, I came back and I had a little falling out with my boss and I was like, hey man, I'm going to meet you for coffee. And I was like, let's meet for coffee. And uh, I told him, hey, I'm out. You know, um, I got to leave. Didn't really have an out, you know. Um, I just, at that point, but I thought because of my connections at the time, because I was connected fairly well in various companies, that I could probably land a job. Over the time I was interviewing and even spreading that interviewing during, um, uh, into like after I left my practice in number 21, I was like kind of interviewing with some people. Never nothing landed though. And I was wondering what was going on. Why, why am I not landing another job? But the way I look at it is I had four months of unemployment. Unemployment really is an eye opener. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It really provides mental clarity. And so started figuring out slowly what I wanted to do. And fortunately, you know, those people who are in practice, you know, you're, if you're a doctor, pharmacist, nurse, guess what? You know, you have a, you have a skill set that can pay part-time pretty well. You know, you can do locums and I've done locums. Um, and you can kind of offset income until you kind of figure out where your exit is. So, you know, that's how I, uh, that's how I kind of took that leap in a weird way. Kind of glad I didn't join just one company to be honest. I'm kind of glad I've kind of hodgepodge different things right now to kind of figure out what that transition is. I can definitely relate to what you said, like about not being able to find a job. Uh, for me, it was like frustrating. I, I didn't have a network um, at all. Uh, I was just kind of going in blind. Um, it was until I got a network and was able to kind of focus in on what I really wanted to do. But, uh, and this kind of can go into the transition of clinicians and tech, right? I think that uh, now it's getting better. Um, back when you were applying or when I was applying, people didn't really see the value of a clinician in a tech company because at that time, money is flowing free, right? You just had an idea that links at that time, telemedicine to anything, boom, you get mm -hmm. a hundred, couple hundred million dollars and they weren't really seeing the value of it. What value, if you're talking like, you know, like if you're talking to a tech company or even like a, a clinician, like, Hey, what value do you bring to a tech company? Uh, so that's something I think every doctor or physician or clinician has to figure out, right? Like what value you bring? Because I realize like there's so many different aspects that you have a value you can bring to a, to a company, right? And so one aspect could be I'm 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 very very well versed in insurance and insurance reimbursements, right? That's a, that's something that's crucial to a med tech company or a value based medicine company or whatever, right? Because I'm involved with an insurance company as well too now. Like so that's a knowledge not a knowledge set or skill set. Um, I'm a very good clinician, right? So I have that. Uh, that I know the point of care very well, and I can tell you where exactly where your product fits in the market and where it should be used, how it how how is the workflow managed in a uh, what should we call it um, uh, in, in a doctor setting or 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 wherever. Um, um, you know, I, I can speak doctor for you. I can be the ambassador for you. I can be your physician champion, but I also I can be that you know that person that reaches out to physician practices for you, right, and talks to physician practices and says. Um, this is what this is what we do or hospital systems. So there's like different points of value you can create. And honestly, sometimes you, I, what I've seen is what's weird is like, you know, as as I've gone over it over the years, I've talked to older doctors, right? Some that are 50, 60 years old, right? That are a little bit ahead of the game. Their language changes, right? Like, so you and me, if we were back in the hospital, there's a certain verbiage, there's a certain language, there's a certain thing we talk about. These docs are out for so long, they talk business. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? They talk, they talk so different than a regular clinician. So in a weird way, you almost have to evolve over time, right? You have to evolve your verbiage, evolve your vocabulary, you know, and how you speak. So I think like that's one of the big things when you transition out is 
you have to learn a new language. Do you see what I'm saying? And learn something new. And I don't think, that's what I think a lot of doctors won't do to make that leap. Do you see what I'm saying? That's a, it's a very hard thing to do. 100%. Um, you know, we talk about jargon in healthcare, right? Um, no, I like, I'm sure, I mean, there's like, I always talk about like, you know, reading a neurology note and Googling literally half the note because I have no idea what they're saying. Yeah, uh, all these acronyms. And, uh, it's the same thing when you go out in tech and stuff, like there are all these jargons and acronyms are being thrown out. Like, um, I remember the first time I heard like Tam, Sam and Sam and I'm like, Oh, who are those people? Like, you know, like it, it, you know, it, it sounds dumb, but like, like to people that are in there, like I, they knew it, but like, I was like, Oh, I have no idea. You know what a POC is. I mean, I knew what an MVP was like things like that, that are just like casual words that are just thrown in to conversation. I just recently learned uh, socializing an idea. I didn't had no idea what that even means until just very recently. Like, it's just like this completely different world. But I think that we're, I, I think that, uh, like you said, like either you don't want to learn it, but I think you can definitely learn it. Just a couple of quick Google searches, just kind of like what we do in medicine, right? Like when you're reading a note. We'll be honest, man, we live in the age of made up acronyms where everyone's just <laughs> making up acronyms to sound cool. You know, I was literally in a meeting just like two hours ago. And it was, they were talking about PCMs and I was like, what the hell is a PCM? Right. Yeah. And they're like primary care managers. I'm like, what? That's not <laughs> a thing. Like that, like it's a PCP, you know? Like, yeah. so it's like weird how we live in that age where everyone's kind of making up terminology in a weird way. Um, and then even getting caught in the terminology, like in these, in these conversations. So when you get into conversation with AI, it almost gets, oh my God, like a, so conceptual and talk. Right. And it's like, whereas, especially in medicine, I think we, we deal with so much substance. You know what I'm saying? In the business world, there's a lot more fluff, right? And so it's hard to make that transition from fluff, to, from from substance to to, to a bit of fluff added in, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, especially like with business, you're doing a lot of projection, right? Like you're, okay, we're getting, we're going to be taking this many customers in at this price. This is our revenue in the next three, four years, right? Versus mm -hmm. in medicine, we, we have some projections. We can be like, hey, yeah, we're using this medication because it is used to treat it. But everyone is different. We can't promise anything. We can't make claims because we're literally dealing with people's lives, right? And that's yeah. that was a that's a that's a switch in that is still I still struggle with to this day. Like I I I I'm always super ultra conservative when I'm making like you know projections and such because I come from the medical side where we don't make projections, we don't make predictions, right? We can't tell you that yes, you are going to live or die or you know, you're going to keep your leg or whatever, like we, and because it's immoral to do those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. We come from a, a, a our, our thing is you, you know, you come from a place of non-malfeasance, right? That's the primary, you know, the Hippocratic oath, non-malfeasance, do no harm. Right. And so that's the, and so that, that is a very conservative point, right? But to innovate, you have to be more, you, you have to want to break things and move fast. Right. And so, um, you know, and that's kind of counter to what we've been taught. Right. In the way. We, and again, we're dealing with lives directly. So we have to be conservative. And that's I think that I think that's the frustration between the innovators in healthcare and healthcare people as a whole. Like innovators in healthcare are like, OK, we need to do this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, and I'm like, dude, how do you you can't go that fast. You just simply can't go that fast. You know, um, so, you know, it takes some time to move that move the needle in healthcare. Do you think that can be taught that mindset of moving quickly, breaking things and moving on? I mean, I, I obviously there's only so much you can do in medicine, right? Cause again, we're dealing with people's lives, but that mentality of, 
okay, let's just try it and see if it works. And as long as there's not, as long as we're not affecting people in a negative way, if we fail, let's just go. Because I, I do think, I mean, I'll let you answer that first, but do you think that kind of mentality can be taught? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so to some degree. Um, but what I've noticed in like the innovation, innovations, innovation space, whoever's in med tech, biotech, their mindsets are just completely different and they could just be wired a little different. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, I just don't, uh, even to, even though I'm in a more risky situation now, I'm still leaning conservative in many respects, you know, and it could be just my very well nature. You know, I, I think people enter professions or do things that, you know, kind of fit their personalities in a weird way. But the other side is, yeah, maybe you were taught that, you know, if I got my residency and residency and fellowship in medical school and they were telling me, look for problems, fix problems, you know, change, change the status quo. Perhaps I would have approached it. Right. So. I think you touched on something really important. Um, this is though our training. I think mm-hmm. like when we're children and not, not to go too far back, but I think as kids, we were, we were, we were allowed to explore. We were allowed to break things. We were allowed to do all this stuff, be creative. Um, mm-hmm. And then over time it gets beaten out of you. And if it hasn't been beaten out to you, out of you, when you get into grad school, it is going to be heavily beaten out of you because yeah. everything you, you are told to stay in this box, regardless of if your idea works or not, because there's, there is this, Hey, we've been doing this for hundreds of years this way. We're mm-hmm. going to continue to keep doing this for another couple hundreds of years. And like you mentioned, you know, if in residency or during school, we were taught like, Hey, you know, this is a problem. How would you fix it? How, you know, just, you know, snap your fingers. How would you fix it? I think just simple things like that can really change the mindset as clinicians start coming out of school uh, where they're looking at a problem, not just as a problem as, okay, well, this is just the way it is. We just have to deal with it rather. Okay. This is a problem. Can, is there a way we can fix it? Yeah. yeah. And also the other problem with healthcare too, and oftentimes if you're an institution, an academic setting or whatever, the inherent problem is uh, the bureaucracy of medicine too. You see what I'm saying? And just getting stuff approved right? Like it's like in a hospital system, an academic sitting, you need like three committee meetings, you know, like <laughs> to get something done, you know, like one of my friends, his name's Lance Black, if he's listening, I'm he's listening, but he said, these, these institutions sometimes need three committee meetings in a year to change the comma on a website. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how long it takes them to change. So to getting them to adapt new ways of thinking, a new device or whatever, um, you know, it gets, it, it's very, very, very difficult. And then I think for a lot of these companies, med tech, whoever, it's hard to find that physician champion. I think that's the big thing. I think like these companies look for is physician champions that can explain the tech that's passionate about the tech and they can be a physician champion overall, but also in a region or maybe even like in an institution itself, right? Like, Hey, I work with this doctor and this doctor likes us, likes our product and he can help us, you know, get it implemented in different parts of the hospital. Whatever. Yeah. So as someone who's, who works with med tech companies and such, um, you had said like they had reached out to you or I'm sure you've reached out to some of them, but as somebody who's kind of thinking about it, how would you tell them to reach out to some of these companies? If they see, Hey man, like this company sounding really awesome. Uh, what do we do? Like, how do, how do I, how, how would you tell them to, Hey, to reach out to them to be, Oh, so the way I started, and this is really simple. So there's companies like GLG, Athenium, and all these kind of companies, they do consulting, right? So essentially what they do is they're contracted as a third party on behalf of a company to reach out to doctors and other people um, to give their advice about things, 
right? So that was my in initially. So you do that, you get paid, you know, you put your rate down, whatever it is, two, three hundred, four hundred dollars, whatever you think your rate is, and they may reach out to you about, you know, kidney care, a certain disease, diabetic nephropathy, or if you're a heart, you're a cardiologist, uh, congestive heart failure, and then you start introducing yourself to industry that way, right? And you start to realize this line of questioning is so simple. <laughs> like, it's like, oh my God, like this basic understanding that a lot of these companies don't even have, right? And so that's where I got introduced. So if anyone's out there wanting to get involved in consulting, look into like, these kind of companies and just start, you know, you literally just put your email in, they'll you put a little profile and then they'll email you these opportunities and you can make a few hundred bucks each time you talk to them for an hour and then get introduced. Well, I would say if you're even more committed than that and you're past the point of you want to do consulting, I would say first off, go on LinkedIn, get your LinkedIn profile up to date, you know, um, nice picture, not a stupid selfie, you know, a nice little background, you know, a little something about yourself on there, a nice little profile, but little bio, update your CV. So first off there, I'm gonna tell you right now, these companies, they go straight to your LinkedIn. That's what they do. That's that's how they find you, right? And so if your LinkedIn is impressive, they're gonna they're gonna be like, oh, this this doctor, this doctor, you know, this doctor does this and this. So, um, so right then and there, on on that, you know, I would say as a as a clinician, you shouldn't be afraid to reach out because a lot of times these companies are dying to talk to doctors. Do you see what I'm saying? Especially in the early stage. You know, if you're going to go to an AstraZeneca, a Medtronic, they're probably not going to be as impressed, right? But if you go to an early stage company and they, you know, they're 10 guys, 40 guys or something, and they got a product that's not FDA cleared, you reach out to them as a clinician, they may just go, hey, thank you. Um, what, you know, what, what, can we tell you about our product? Da, da, da. So that's how um, they're probably more open to that experience. Do you see what I'm saying? Because they may not even have a clinician. Do you see what I'm saying? So 100%. I think that, and it goes from both sides. I think that um, if you're a clinician, definitely reach out to these companies because you'd be surprised at how many will be so excited to just talk to you and just quote unquote, pick your brain. Um, and, um, it's really, it's, it's a lot easier than you think it is. Right. And, and I, and I tell people like pick a company that you identify with and you, and also it fits your skill set a little bit. And then the other thing that I learned during my three and a half years of just talking to people is not going with an agenda, but going with a, your own line of questioning, because, because eventually you, what you need to do is bring them to your expertise. If it doesn't start there, you need to eventually get them there because then you can ask them questions like, Oh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? If they are just keep saying no and no and no, then, you know, kind of going back to how do you show value? You're showing your value because now you're asking them questions that maybe either they thought of and don't have answers to, or they just never thought mm -hmm. of. And yeah. so, so that's kind of what I did and it works out really well. And it's, and it's it takes some time to learn their jargon and such, but again, you can just do a quick Google search. After you talk to a couple of them, you'll hear the same like acronyms and and honestly, just ask them like, "Hey, sorry, I didn't get that. What does that mean?" Um, and because you're gonna throw out some words that they're gonna they're gonna think the same way, it's it's okay to ask if you don't yeah. know. Well, you know, the easiest way is let's just say you see an early stage company out there in your field, and you're like, "Oh, this is kind of cool." I would just literally go on LinkedIn on the. DMs or is it DM on LinkedIn? Yeah, so go on the DMs and just like look for their sales manager, look for their chief medical officer, if they even have a chief medical officer. A lot of them don't even have chief medical officer. But look at one of their people, even CEOs or whoever, message them directly and go, hey, um, I'm a cardiologist, very much interested in your product. Can I hear more about it? Yeah. Dude, 
oh, you're in. You know what I'm saying? They'd probably be like, yeah, sure. You know, because um, a lot of these companies, they could be at the at the phase where they're looking for advisors on their board, and that could be a scientific advisor, that could be actually a board member. They could be looking for you as a consultant. They could be using looking you as maybe a future CMO, chief medical officer. And what's really fascinating is when I really got into this, some of these fields, you know, and what's what's crazy is, and I don't know if you've got this, but like I was looking, like I was like, yo, I want to be a medical director for you. Yo, I want to be a chief medical officer for you. And what I've noticed is so many of these companies, these doctors that are on these on these companies, they were plucked, meaning someone reached out to them and somehow and plucked them. Do you see what I'm saying? Like they weren't necessarily all asking for the change in life and jump, but they were approached and all of a sudden this came to them. You see what I'm saying? So if you're actively looking, you may be, you know, have an opportunity to do something. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to the point of you, you also have to put yourself out there, make sure your profile is up to date and because they are going to be looking at your profile. So if they see you talking about, you know, a certain subject matter and they're resonating with what you're saying, you know, they're more likely to, you know, you are more likely to get the inbound rather than, I mean, what you, what you can't do is just have like, you know, like you said, like not the greatest picture, your, your bio is really sparse. You are not talking about anything. You can't really expect anyone to like read your mind and be like, Oh yeah, this person is works in this field, but they don't know anything about you. Right. Um, it's, if you, if you put something out there, it doesn't have to be a lot or whatever, just something, at least that gives them a little bit of an idea of, okay, this is, this is their line of thinking. Does it align with us? Does it not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously you and I are more active on social media, so people know where our thought processes are, but I don't, I want, I would say to a lot of people, you don't have to be that active. I'd no. say first off, just start with the up-to-date LinkedIn profile, you know? Um, and a lot of these things, like, especially with social media, it's just to park an address or, you know, have something there. Like I have a website. Does it get that many traffic? No, but it's a presence, right? It's a presence. People, when they look, Google me, they can see my website and be like, Hey, he's legit. You see what I'm saying? Um, you know, so I think LinkedIn uses it the same way. Just have your night, have your residency fellowship, medical school, you know, college on there and just go from there. You know, so. Yeah. I mean, this, so what, uh, so when you Google your name, what, uh, what number are you in the people that have the same name as you? I'm, I am like, I have now, I'm slowly ascending up, up the ranks of the doctors because Zan Sayed is a very, very common name in our, oh, really? in our culture. Yeah. Super common name. The number one uh, Zan Sayed is a yoga instructor. That's who I'm gunning for. If you're listening, Zan Sayed, I'm gunning for you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I think if you put in Dr. Kassam Butt, I think it comes up. Nice. You see what I'm saying? So if you put in Dr. Kassam Butt, it comes up first. There are other Kassam Butt. I think I was like, I'm a cricket player in Pakistan or something too or something. <laughs> and so, you know, it, other things do come up. Um, but, you know, uh, I think it's important, like, Again, just because I do social media, I don't want to think want you to think it's so important. But certain things like having a Google business page, you know, Facebook page, all this kind of stuff, it helps your own intrinsic SEO. So it kind of helps you get to that top. And quite honestly, even creating a website is just a few hundred bucks, you know. So if you wanted to get somebody to help you create a few, uh, website, you can as well too. And again, but if you're at the beginning stages, that's one thing. If you're at our level, that's something we can talk, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and the thing is, just don't overthink it. Like I said, you don't have to go crazy on social media. Just, just create something, just create something when somebody looks like when you're searching for somebody, what are you looking for? Right? So just make sure you answer the same questions that you are looking for when you look at somebody's profile. And that's a great place to start. But yeah. And, and you know, my goal too, on social media is to stay on brand. I don't comment on politics. I don't call comment on other things. I stay on brand. I talk about kidney, kidney health, kidney, kidney related stuff, tech, 
value-based care, I stay on brand. And just because it's just, that's who I am, right? I'm not using, I'm not using LinkedIn for other things, right? So the staying on brand is kind of cool. And then, you know, and you stay kind of agnostic towards politics, religion, whatever it is, and people, more people will approach you as well. So 100%. So, uh, so now that, now that they've reached out and they've gotten some conversations, how do you go from kind of a conversation to being like, a paid consultant or somebody on the board of advisory advisory board. Sorry. That's an interesting question, man. I, you know, like it's hard to get there. So like it's my, my advisory spot started while I was still in practice. So I'm on, on a scientific advisory board for Icona health. Um, it's a, a CKD education platform, uh, use virtual reality, all this cool stuff. Shout out to them. Um, I got on them pretty early and then I, I, Leo, it's a smart patch that goes on your fistula, to, uh, your dialysis access, your remotely monitor potassium, hemoglobin, hematocrit, all this cool stuff. They reached out to me, got on the scientific board. So I was on a scientific board. And what's cool is once you get on a scientific board, it's not a paid position, but you do get equity. So you get equity that typically vests over four years, right? So you get like this, uh, you get some, uh, uh, delineations of, uh, that's not preferred sex, common stock. You get some common stock in the company. And so um, that's kind of a way in. And that kind of, what's cool is when you're on the scientific board, they bug you when they need you. It could be once a month, it could be once a quarter. That's an easy way in, right? And it's no, virtually no liability. You see what I'm saying? It's no liability. Um, and I think that's one of the easiest ways to get in. You see what I'm saying? In some of these companies. Um, and then when you kind of establish your street cred, you know, you kind of move on and then you get into, um, paid consulting eventually as well too. So with the Leo, I'm kind of like a paid consultant as well. And then with another company, DeLorean AI, I'm a paid consultant. He reached out to me. And again, it's, it's weird, but the social media presence really does help with that connection, right? And people know who you are. Oh, I'm a doctor in kidney care, right? That's, I'm connected to that, you know? So, and so um, that kind of uh, evolved there. And all of, virtually all my, my jobs now came from LinkedIn in some way. You see what I'm saying? All of them. Like it's um, the, my presence, they either directly reached out to me or I saw their job listing on LinkedIn. You see what I'm saying? And so um, and that's about it. Very nice. Yeah, no. And, and, and I think it all kind of goes back to, you know, like when you're creating, when you're, when you're doing a, because it is a, it is a fundamental switch in your career, right? You're making a career transition, even though mm -hmm. you're doing it in med tech, uh, the tech part holds more value because, you know, it, it, it shouldn't or should not. I mean, that, that's a debate we can have for later, but like, it does hold a lot more value. You have, don't have a tech side. So when you're, when you're making this career transition, you have to make an active effort to put yourself out there. Even if you don't want to, you have to make an active effort to instill yourself with the community. I think that's another part of it too, right? You know, you're, you need to ingratiate yourself in there get to know people. I mean, there are a lot of amazing people. Worst case scenario, you, you make some amazing friends. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like the way I look at it is sometimes your ROI is not capital, right? Like sometimes it is friendship. Sometimes it is knowledge. Sometimes it is a connection. You see what I'm saying? It's like the ROI doesn't always have to be capital. So a lot of times you're like, like, I love to network. I love to meet people. I love to go to conferences and meet people, you know, and like, like yourself or whoever. Um, but, and you know, what is it? Probably 90% of the people I met, 95% haven't made me anything. You see what I'm saying? But it's a new network of people that can kind of introduce you to people. That's the way I've, I've, I've looked at it, you know, over the years. So. Yeah. 100%.
So, uh, and you don't have to go into any details or anything of, of how much you get paid or whatever, but I think a a question that comes up a lot is how do you structure a consulting contract? Do you do it per hour, per project, per engagement? Like, how do you personally do it? I mean, I can say how I I do it, but, uh, I think that's a question that we just don't get right. Cause normally our jobs where we have a salary, we're usually salaried. We don't have to really, we, well, most cases, at least in my case, in, in pharmacy case, we have no leverage in terms of negotiations. <laughs> it is what it is. You, you get you know a number of years, boom, that's the salary you get. So the consulting world was very weird for me, like having to pick my own salary, what I need to say, what I need to do. Yeah. I mean, I think you get out there, you kind of get an idea. You talk to other doctors too and see what they're charging, right? And if you're new, you probably want to tr- go not for a low ball, but like a medium range kind of thing. So there's two ways I would do it. You can do an hourly rate or you can do retainer. I like retainer. Retainer is super cool. They can use you a lot some months. They can use you not some none some other months. You see what I'm saying? That's a cool little mix. Um, and you can kind of negotiate how much hours that retainer means. You see what I'm saying? Is it four hours of my time a week? Is it five hours or 10 hours of my time a week? And that's what you are. And they give you a, give you a, give you essentially that retainer. And that's kind of nice. That's probably the best way possible, I think. Um, now, the other option is hourly, but hourly can go up and down, right? So one company I'm with right now, like I was just a few hours a month, and now all of a sudden they want a lot more. You see what I'm saying? And so that can kind of go up and down. So, um, you know, you kind of may have to mix it up a little bit, to be honest with you. I think like, and it depends too. So like, if you really get into consulting, you need to form your own LLC. You need to have it designated as an S corp, you know, uh, and you know, for tax purposes and all that kind of stuff. Um, probably you need to get a bookkeeper, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of things that go along with this that are not like as easy as say a W2 job. Right. So, um, <clears throat> and then what's cool is you got to, you, have, you can decide, am, am I a consulting company now or am I just kind of, getting getting working with several companies waiting for one of them to kind of take me on for full time you know what i'm saying that's the way i i look at it yeah so um um but yeah so that's how that's how i'm approaching it right now i'm still in that weird transition phase right now but i look at working with different companies as a as almost like a mini mba or like a mini learning session do you see what i'm saying so i'm learning about ai i'm learning about med tech i'm learning about health health insurance so i'm creating more value and maybe can charge a higher rate later on. Right. So. Yeah. 100%. It's just, I think people would be really surprised as to how much they can charge. I think a lot of people go in thinking like, Oh man, you know, cause I think like, not, I think we are trained to, you know, like lawyers and stuff. They, you pick up the phone call they talk to you for 30 seconds. They're charging you for an hour. Right. You know, yeah, when yeah. We're, we're talking to patients for hours and hours. We're talking to people. We're not charging for our time at all. And we are, we, we're not in that mode of uh, charge for our time. We feel weird asking for money right which is yeah but so that's why i think it's, it's really hard for people to transition and i think people lowball themselves they they don't see their own value um and i i love what you said talk to other people that have been doing it for a little bit because you'd be really surprised as to how how high that bar really is and i'll be honest with you so i charge a different rate for different people so mm-hmm. what i mean by that is if you're going to be giving me 10 hours a month 10 hours a month i'm going to charge you and we're going to have a consistent continuous relationship i'm going to charge you a little bit lower you see what i'm saying but if you want me for a one-off right for this like an hour two hours three hours then my rate's a lot higher do you see what i'm saying because then it's not worth my time you see what i'm saying so you can say 
you know, just putting it out there, you can say, I'm going to charge someone who have a relationship over many months, $200 an hour because they're giving me 10 hours a month or something like that. But this one off person who just wants me to pick my brain, my rates $400 an hour for like two, three hours. Do you see what I'm saying? And so you can adjust that rate. Your rate's not static. It can, it can adjust depending there because a one-off doesn't, it's not worth your time as much. You see what I'm saying? If it's just a few hundred bucks, so you have to raise that rate a little bit. And I think most people are okay with, you know, that and yeah like you said um and you you've experienced the same thing they're, they're going to ask you questions that you're going to think are basic but to them are mind-blowing i remember having multiple conversations where they're like oh man zan like you shouldn't just be giving this away like you should be charging for all your thing and i'm like and i sat there and i was and i told one of them and this is i told him like this is the, i mean i knew them relatively well at this time i told him like you know the fact that you're thinking that is the reason why you need me on your team somebody like me not me personally but maybe somebody on my team because if you just spend one day or one week in the clinic you'd have known all of this like none of this is hidden yeah. none of this is squared away in some weird place in the textbook well what's weird is i feel like that first call is a is like the freemium model you see what i'm saying you got to give it away a little bit so they know that you're knowledgeable and then after that they want to keep on contacting you like you don't want to give away too much for free, mm -hmm. right? Um, unless there's there's a relationship there, unless you see it going somewhere. But if it's like, you know, if that if the company's reaching out to you and they're like, you know, you know, that you want to know stuff and and it's one hour, then fine. But after that, you'd be like, you know what, guys, my rate's this much. Let's go ahead and, you know, um, lock in a contract or something, or make me an advisor, give me equity, you know, something. You see what I'm saying? Make uh, make it make it worth their, make it worth your while. Um, and that's always been my hard part too. Just like you, I, I love talking so I can talk about stuff all day. And so, and I find what's interesting with tech particularly or med device, um, or even, you know, things like AI, but, you know, I think some of the companies, they have this, uh, they have a hard time coming up with their use cases, right? Yeah. Like they think that this, this device is perfect for this. And I'm like, dude, no, it needs, it needs to be this or this is good for the kidney care market or the you know cardiovascular market. I'm like, no, no, no. This is good for a CHF patient just discharged from the hospital and they want to avoid a 30-day readmit. You see what I'm saying? It's not meant for the entire you know cardiovascular market or congestive heart failure market. It's meant for this, it's meant there. And sometimes even with the company, like starting with a particular use case and then expanding from there, right, is, is the best strategy. Because you have to, when you approach, say, a doctor in a practice, you got to make him think, I, you know, when am I going to use this? What is the scenario that I use this? And then once he starts implementing it, then he can expand and say, okay, I can use it here, I can use it here, I can use it here. And I've done that with, even for my own part, when I've used new devices, new medications in certain in certain scenarios, I've kind of done that that way too. So Yeah, 100%. I've had conversations with people that are like, oh, would this work in pharmacy? And, you know, I basically kill my own position where I'm just like, no, this really wouldn't work here. You should probably look at it this, like in some other area. And because I'm just trying to be honest, I don't want people to fail, whatever, but it's so true because they come in thinking like, Oh, this is a slam dunk. It's just going to work right here. No problem. And then I kind of go down the standard questions that any pharmacist or any director is going to ask them and they can't really answer any of them or it's not exactly what it need. And it's just like, uh, you know, you should try this other sector or maybe work on this a little bit and then come back to me. But, um, uh, it's, it's sometimes and not, not, and this is not meant to sound as a slight to anyone. It is a little alarming sometimes as how little thought is actually put into the market itself. Like there's a, 
they come in with a cool idea like oh man this is an awesome idea and they're just trying to shoehorn it into the area that they think it is going to be in yeah yeah i know and that's what i think is like um i i think like i'm going with this um i i i i think a lot of them don't understand the market as well and like you said they get they get they get they get blinded by the bells and whistles right they get so excited about their product i'm like if it doesn't fit into the clinical workflow of a practice or a hospital it's not going to be used right there's so many devices out there i've heard i'm like this is so cool but it doesn't fit into the clinical workflow of that hospital, right? So why would we use it? You know, like, why would they use it? Um, it's too expensive. There's no reimbursement for it, you know? And especially now in the sense of value-based care where, you know, um, you know, people are trying to do cost savings now, right? That's a big thing. Cost savings is a big thing. How do you prove cost savings? You know, that's a hard thing, hard sell, hard sell as well, too. Yeah, and I think and I run into this issue sometimes, too, because I just love tech and I get really excited I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be awesome. People are gonna love this, and then I kind of have to hold myself back, be like, no, not everyone is weird or crazy or willing to go through the hoops, jump through the hoops to make this work, right? And then I have to kind of think back of the normal person that's not me. And I think some when, but it's so easy to get caught up in your idea and how amazing it is because you see the future, but the implement implementation is the execution and implementation is the hardest part and also the most important part. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that, that the implementation where the rubber meets the road, like if you, if you can't, you can't get adoption, it's, it's a useless product, right? Like, so like, you know, um, and again, having that explained in particular, like what's the use case for it? What's the, how is it explained to them? Like th at this point in your clinic, this is when you use it. You see what I'm saying? And this in the OR, this is when, this is when we think. You use it. Yeah. And so you have to literally explain it to them just because it's cool. doesn't mean they're, they're going to pay for it. Right. Yeah. I, I get some flack for this, but I tell people like if they can't figure out how to use it within like the first five to 10 seconds of you showing them or just telling them your idea, you need to rethink of what you did, either change your pitch a little bit, explain it a little better, or you need to, because normal, I don't, don't want to say normal people, but like the most, most people, they don't have time to figure things out. They just want something to just work and move and it should just make perfect sense as to yes this this is gonna fit right here like you know where me some like somebody who's like me like a tinkerer like okay cool yeah i love the idea let's try to figure out how to fix it most people are not gonna be like that but i think people thinking because like founders and all these people are like the tinkerers they think you know they think other people are like them when that's not really the case no 100 percent. again like and again this is my frustration with medicine now is like I, when I walk through a hospital or go through a clinic, I see the inefficiencies now. I, that's all I see. Like, I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, <laughs> like I'm just like sitting there going that. And, and I'm, uh, but I realize that that change has to be slow to be implemented. It can't just be boom, 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 especially when you're dealing with patients' lives uh, or EMR systems that need to be integrated or, you know, whatever it is, like, it's not going to happen right overnight. And then, um, but yeah, like even like, you know, with the adoption, you know, like when you with med device, cause I was an interventional nephrologist, you know, like having that someone there that can show you exactly where it's going to be used at what stage in the procedure it's going to be used and walk you through it and be like, okay, this is, this is what it's going to do. And this is, this is how much it'll cost and how much it's going to save, you know? So, yeah. And then, so I do want to touch on value-based care cause this is um, a buzzword that's thrown around a lot. I don't think. And any person you ask, you know, about value-based care, it's a different definition, right? Um, you definitely know a lot more about value-based care than I do. 
can you just give us kind of a 30,000 foot view of what value-based care is? I think it is a, a change in incentive structure of the healthcare system. And so meaning, and, and change in incentive system through change of payment models. That's the way I look at it, right? So instead of a fee-for-service model, um, a fee-for-service model essentially is I do a procedure, I see a patient in the clinic, I see a patient in the hospital, I bill, right? In, I, the more I do, the more I bill. You see what I'm saying? The more times I see the patient, the more procedures I do, the more I bill. To me, value-based care is, okay, it's not that anymore. Okay, it's, it's a global patient, right? You are, you're at risk. So instead of you as a doctor or as a, um, as a value-based medicine provider or PCP hospital system, you get a global payment for this patient, right? And if you save, and you get a global payment, and if you save us money as an insurance company, you save us money, then, then you get to keep, um, then you get to keep some of the, the savings for yourself. You see what I'm saying? So you incentivize a doc, you incentivize a doctor, you incentivize a hospital system, you incentivize a dialysis unit, whoever, to actually look at the best cost savings metrics. Prevent and and and, and currently, what's the biggest cost is hospitalizations, right? Preventing rehospitalizations, um, you know, um, um, uh, preventing long hospitalizations, um, things things like that, right? So it causes you to instead of think looking at disease processes maybe later on towards the end stage, it causes you to go upstream to where the disease begins and treat it earlier. You see what I'm saying? Because you as the provider of care are responsible for the cost of care. You see what I'm saying? So if you save money, um, you make more money. If you lose money, you take that hit. You see what I'm saying? If that patient, all of a sudden, well, like as a regular doctor, when I, if I, my patient went to the hospital, no biggie, I'll just go see him in the hospital. No big deal. But now in an value-based care contract, when that patient goes to the hospital, that dings me. You see what I'm saying? So I'm incentivized to maybe get him into clinic earlier, maybe follow him a little bit closer, things like that. So. Yeah, I think, well, thank you for that. That, that was well explained. I like value-based care. I think it's a good step in the right direction. What I'm afraid of it, what I'm afraid of, and this could be the jaded, jaded me after so many years yeah, in medicine, yeah. Uh, what I'm afraid of is it's going to get stripped of everything that it's supposed to be and turn back into where we are. Are you, are you afraid of that? Or am I just, just a jaded fool? Well, the, the, like, so it's, it's based off a of basis, right? So it ha you have a basis year, right? So like, you know, you're, you, there's only, you, so you want to, you know, cut costs or decrease, decrease, you know, whatever it is, the metrics or improve the metrics. So there's only so much you can improve. You see what I'm saying? Based on, and so those, and that basis, oftentimes, depending on the contract, could be every year, it could be every five years, the basis adjusted. And so there's only so much you can improve. My biggest fear is I feel like it could lead to corporate medicine. You see what I'm saying? Because in order to keep like the log logistics and data and all the stuff that's needed to actually understand how these contracts will work, it requires bigger entities, right? And so my biggest fear with value-based care is that it could lead to more corporate medicine, that we could all work for insurance companies, that we could all work for larger hospital systems, all that kind of stuff, as opposed to individual private practices. Like how does an individual private practice keep, keep all that data, right? And understand all their analytics. That's, my, that's one of my fears, so. I actually never thought about that, but I mean, it's kind of happening, right? Some of the biggest value-based companies were bought out by massive, I mean, CVS and I can't think of, I can't think of the the company's name right now, the green logo, but 
But I mean, that was massive, multi-billion dollar um, investment. And Amazon just buying anything with a pulse at this point. But I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I never thought about it that way. And then the well, other also, thing, I'll go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no. The, the other thing is like some of these insurance companies literally have their own PCPs now, man. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They're they're They have their own PCPs. So they're, they're, and they're essentially Medicare Advantage plans, right? Like, so, um, and so they, and some of these newer, fancier uh, value-based medicine, value-based medicine PCPs, they only take Medicare Advantage. They don't take fee-for-service patients, right? And so, um, you know, so, and that, that's, that's what, I, and so it's like, it's almost like the insurance company is going to be the provider, right? Provider payers, that's what they call them, right? Pro payer, what is it? What is it? Pro payvider, I think. Payviders, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, um, I am, I don't, I mean, you, I don't know. I, I just am not looking, if, if that ends up becoming the thing, I don't know if I'd be excited for that. I'm not, I don't personally like the M&As. If, hey, if I had one of those companies and a company comes to me with a check, 100% I'm selling. I don't want it to say say that I'm like on this ivory tower. But uh, from the outside looking in, these mergers and acquisitions and the consolidation of power, basically what's happening, uh, is a little scary to me from like the clinician side because like you said, it's turning into corporate medicine. And, and this is what I was saying, like it's gonna kind of go back to where we are now, right? We are just, you know, I don't know. It's just, I don't really, I don't know if I can articulate it properly. I think you understand or people that are in, in the field understand what I'm trying to say, but um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see where things go. I mean, maybe I'm going to be completely wrong I mean, and everything works out great. Yeah. And the thing is too, like the status quo can't stand. I don't, I don't think no. fee for service works. You know what I'm saying? Fee for service works to fee for service works for acute needs, but for chronic needs, it, it just incentivizes bad behavior. Right. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm for the change, but I have my doubts and I am scared that, that doctors will be employees of either hospital systems or insurance companies down the road. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. so. And then the other thing, um, and the other thing that kind of um, doesn't feel right is, you know, the clinicians are taking on all the risk, right? You know, mm -hmm. but we don't have any of the power to um, create the rules or anything, right? Like, it's like, hey, you're taking all the risk, but we're making, we're creating the rules for you, right? We have no, we don't really, it's it's just a weird it's just a weird way of doing it, especially you know like for example hospitalization, right? You and I know there's you can be the best doctor, you could see them literally every hour of every day, and there's certain things that are just out of your control, right? And it just is what it is. And depending on the type of patients you're seeing, maybe they're they're more likely to be hospitalized, right? Just because of the disease state they have, it doesn't matter what what they're going through, they're gonna go in the hospital. So then that's gonna slowly start pushing people away from taking care of those patients because. Hey, I'm going to lose, I'm going to literally lose my everything. Right. And, and that's kind of what I'm afraid, like things are going to start happening is if we go two down the road of us taking all of the, all of, all of the risk. And then it's, I feel like it's going to start happening. Like things like that will start happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I, 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 what you realize with insurance, it's, it's an actuary game. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just an actuary game. It's no different than life insurance. You know, it's just like they're hedging their bets and then go from there. You know, um, yeah. It's it, it. The docs, you know, doctor practices can take, um, you know, some they 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 can get involved in these contracts, and some of them take out what they call stop loss insurance to actually stop the loss if they, they get a big hit of like cancer, a million dollar loss, or whatever, or something. You know, like a huge loss, they can take that. 
But that's why they're part. These doctor practices are partnering with these value-based medicine providers. They're partnering with PCPs. They're partnering with, you know, they're going into contracts. So they're, you know, that that they're 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 protected from that downside risk. Do you see what I'm saying? So I think that's 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 that that's it. But yeah, we don't get a chance to write the contracts. You know what I'm saying it's like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I don't want it to seem like I, I hate value. I really am. I'm, I'm actually really excited for value-based care. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I think it's in the step in the right direction. Like you mentioned, the status quo was not doing it. Uh, we cannot keep doing what we're doing. We're going to literally just run out of money and not be able to treat anyone. Yeah, 100%. And and you can even see it, man. Like, I, just, I mean, I did procedures, but I'm not naming a profession. I'm not naming anything, but there's abuse that happens with certain procedures right? Because I bill fee for service. You see what I'm saying? And I can do this procedure numerous times. And, and I'm not saying they do it intentionally or some of them do, but you know, you can do it unintentionally and you can see some moral hazard there, right? In the fee for service system, as far as, you know, doing too many procedures that don't need to be done. Right. 100%. We had, I was working with a nurse practitioner. She came to our hospital from, um, I won't, again, I won't name the profession or anything. Uh, from this clinic that they're, they had like a whole step-by-step guide of questions to ask to get patients to get a specific type of surgery. Not not like all their surgery, but like they were guiding them to a specific type of surgery because that's what was going to pay them the most, all that stuff. And sometimes she'd be like, they, they, they could have tried something else, right? But no, they had to push them to surgery. And that was their metric. How many surgeries did you do? How many mm-hmm. patients did you get to those surgeries? And yeah, technically speaking, yes, that surgery did help their condition, but also there was cheaper options for them that they could have tried prior to that surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you can see that. I mean, honestly, I've seen it over the years, like, um, you know, like, and not all professions, not all professions, not all doctors, but there is that, 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 that problem, that, that perverse incentive, if you would. Yeah, man. So um, if... I know we're running against time. What if, uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way of doing that? Oh, definitely LinkedIn, man. Just message me on LinkedIn. I'm always down to talk to people. If you're a physician, um, clinician, you know, um, and pharmacist, nurse, whoever, like, and you're interested in this kind of stuff, always love talking. So if you guys want to reach out to me, they can always message me on LinkedIn. Just check out my LinkedIn and you can reach out. Awesome. And then I got one last question for you. So all the stuff that you know now, right? Uh, what kind of advice would you have given yourself uh, coming out of med school? Interesting, man. So like, uh, you know, you always say 2020 is hindsight, right? But I don't know, man. It's like, I don't know if I would have been, you know, it's weird. Like I'm weirdly happy with who I am right now. So I don't know if I want to change. You know what I'm saying? I think everyone's journey is different. So like, I've met doctors that, you know, like a lot of these docs that are in med tech, it's funny, dude, they, they left in med school. They left in residency. Um, they left after a year or two of practice, right? I have 12 years of experience of legit experience. So my percep- my, my perspective on med tech is completely different than say other doctors, right? So I feel like I'm a clinician in med tech, like an experienced clinician, whereas other people have MDs in med tech. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it's, uh, little different but i would say uh what would i say to myself you know the thing is what's interesting is this kind of advice is always weird to me because i think for advice to work you have to be receptive to the advice yeah right and so me in med school was (laughs) not interested in this you see what i'm saying me in med school was about hanging out with friends going to parties 
uh, you know, <laughs> trying to get into residency. You know, it wasn't about, it, you know, it was like studying for your boards. It was all that. So if you came to me at 28 and said, Kasim, you should do this and this, I would be like, dude, I'm just trying to keep treading water right now with like all this stuff I'm in. And so I think, yeah, so I would say, you know, I try to give my advice to younger people like about med tech and stuff like that. But again, it's, it's at your place. Now, if you, if I were to give my advice for me five years ago, you know, yeah, maybe it would have been, you know, like look into med tech a little bit sooner. You know, I always wonder, should I have left my practice earlier? Should I, you know, as opposed to stick, sticking around longer? Um, you know, but then again, some of these companies wouldn't have been around that I'm with now. Leo was at an earlier stage. They wouldn't have needed me, you know, like, or, you know, some of the other companies. I'm with. And so, I don't know, maybe this is the perfect time to, for me to transition out in a weird way because so much money is coming into kidney care, right? And all this change in, in value-based care and other things. So maybe it's the perfect time. I would give that advice to everyone out there that, <laughs> I think if you want to leave, this is a very good time to get involved in med tech and all that stuff because this is when companies are coming. Everyone's talking about AI and all this kind of stuff, but like, you know, like it's coming in now. So you're in the, you know, you're in the, I wouldn't say you're in the, you're in, kind of in the Silicon Valley of the 1960s or 70s right now. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's the new frontier. So if you enter now, you can be a part of its growth and be a part of its there. If you get into AI and all this stuff in 20 years, guess what? Everything's going to be kind of established. It's going to be more. So I think right now is the time to be in innovation in healthcare. So Yeah, 100% agree. I think that um, the next 10, 20 years of healthcare, health tech, healthcare in general is going to be really exciting, hopefully exciting. Um, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think there's just people that we talk to, the things that are going on. There's a lot of people doing a lot of great things. Um, it's just a matter of just connecting the dots, connecting them with us and us connecting with them and connecting each other with each other because um, there's a lot of parallel things going on. And if we can just kind of come on the same track, I think we can accomplish a lot. And I truly believe that. And I'm not just saying that as lip service or anything. I, I truly believe, like like you said, right now is an amazing time to come in because everyone is starving for clinical knowledge. Everyone's starving for this stuff that's in our head. No, a hundred percent. Like if you, if you're talking to AI, they need what's the, the algorithm in my head to implement their algorithm. That's all they need. You know what I'm saying? That's what they, they need. And so, yeah, th this is the perfect time to come in because in 10 years, 20 years, they'll have those algorithms and those algorithms will be rather with whatever you use in your head at that time, you know, like, yeah. so, so, um, but yeah, man. Yeah, no. Well, I want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. This is an awesome conversation, man. Yeah, awesome, man. Thanks for having me.